I had one good hand. I couldn't do anything else, but I could write. And I started journaling and I had written for, you know, a hobby for quite a long time, but that resonated with so many other men. And so when I opened that vulnerability kimono and I showed other guys like, it's okay to feel men, look, I'm a man. You know, I'm not super manly. I'm uncomfortable at Home Depot, but you know, I have <laughs> cowboy boots and I Taekwondo and like, I love IPA. Like I'm a man, um, you know, but it, when I showed other men that I had feelings and, you know, I, I can't think of a single time where another guy didn't say, Oh, you know what? I feel that too. This is Meredith for real, the curious introvert. And I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think, but don't ask out loud either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission and yours, if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. My husband says I'm full of fun facts. The word fun is usually accompanied with air quotes, and he's not wrong. One I recently learned is that men make up the majority of suicides in the U.S. and the minority of mental health seekers. Yikes. That's a fact that's definitely not fun. What is fun, however, is how my guest delivers anxiety solutions. He shares hilarious stories of his OCD, hypochondria, and vulnerability. It is so funny. We cover some important topics like overcoming stigma and the specific ways that men tend to deal with anxiety, maybe even subconsciously. I don't know. You tell me if you were late after you listen. He shares how his anxiety caused him to feel like less of a man. And about at 25 minutes, he shares some ninja tools to turn anxiety from a disability into a superpower. It's good stuff. If you're a regular here, you know mental health is a topic that I'm interested in. And if you are a regular, thank you so much for listening, especially during such a busy time of year. If you end up liking this episode, you might also like the one where I share my own strategies for converting overwhelm into inspiration. It's episode 105. And if you're new here, welcome, welcome. Around here, we press play to get curious, disrupt the algorithm, and grow into better humans. We talk about everything from food addiction to finances. So bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. All right, enjoy the show. Why is it that a woman with anxiety is seen as going through it? She's doing the best she can. The devil whispered, you can't withstand the storm. She said, I am the storm. Support and encouragement even from internet memes. But for a man with anxiety, there's so much more stigma. And the self-help aisle is filled with books of beautiful covers and curly fonts marketed towards women. My next guest is hoping to change all of that. He experienced turmoil as a teen and crushing anxiety and self-harming. Writing and humor were coping techniques that turned into something more. He now has a regular comedy self-help segment on Psychology Today, and together with the help of mental health professionals, he wrote a book to make mental health strategies palatable with humor and plain language and in a male voice. Today, he's going to share his story of finding peace through the panic and answer the question, why is it so taboo 
for men to have anxiety. Combining humor and mental health, anxious protagonist, anxiety memoir writer, John Patrick Catcher. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm exhibit A for anxiety and that eloquent intro. I would like to take you everywhere with me <laughs> and just <laughs> have you open the room. But they, no, thank you. It's it's a it's a pleasure to be here, and I'd love to talk about this subject. Um, and yeah, let's dive in. Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about reflecting, I guess is a better word, of my own coping techniques for dealing with anxiety. And I think I'm in about half a dozen Facebook groups for women about how to handle anxiety and just life and support and togetherness and all the good vibes. And that's totally normal for me. That's, you know, when I have a problem, I seek community. When I'm at Lowe's and I can't figure things out, I seek an employee. When I need to know about a subject, I go on Google Podcasts and I look up a podcast about that information. It is natural for me to respond to problems with seeking out external assistance and support. Sure. So on yep. behalf of women everywhere, <laughs> I if you know if that's not the normal for men, which I don't think it is like the default normal, why? Why don't you all ask for help? Well, there... Therein lies the crux of the problem. And I think, uh, you know, the main impetus is how men and women um, address anxiety and, and how it presents in men and women. And, you know, for, for men, um, you know, first of all, anxiety is a necessary and evolutionary component. It's in our DNA. We need it, uh, but to a degree. And so it's what helped us survive for millennium. And, it's when that becomes chronic and undiagnosed and non-treated that it becomes an issue. And so women tend to deal with things on the front end, whether it be a breakup or anxiety, et cetera. Whereas men, you know, we deny, we distract, um, we, we don't want to get help um, because it's not in our wiring to get help. We're fixers, but when it comes to our own, fixing our fixing of ourselves, therein lies another problem. And we'll do anything, you know, we'll, we'll drop plans, build a ship and invade Tripoli before we go get help. <laughs> or, you know, if we have a nail gun accident, and we shoot ourselves in the head, you know, we might go for that. But um, even myself, you know, the first time I was diagnosed, I was convinced I had a heart attack. So I went to the ER. And, you know, they ran all these tests and gave me nitroglycerin under the tongue. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. And I remember this compassionate ER doctor coming in. Uh, she was a wonderful female. And she said, you know, Mr. Hatcher, I, good news is you didn't have a heart attack. Um, you're having anxiety. And I thought, no, back up. This was a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to accept this diagnosis. It's much too serious. And so... Um, you know, that was my foray into it. I didn't even really understand anxiety. And, um, you know, that kind of set me on a path to try to address it. And, you know, that's really been where I've kind of created my own methodology and paradigm that I'm 
here to share with you today. Which everyone has to, I mean, ultimately create their own methodology, right? Whether you identify specifically and 100% with the stereotype of men never ask for help, or whether you identify specifically uh, with, you know, women always seek community, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, whether it's 100% in or somewhere in the middle, that's really at the end of the day, you have to find your own you know, your own to sound very hippie right now. Your own path to healing. Well, I'm cal- I'm in California. We embrace the hippie. Well, good. Okay, we're we're in good company with each other then. And I know we're talking about adult anxiety today, but you had pretty severe anxiety as a kid, as I understand. Can you kind of you know paint a picture for us of where what that was like for you? Not not to you know stir up and re-traumatize you, but just to kind of paint a picture of where you are were versus where you are now and the hope for maybe someone listening who's experiencing severe symptoms also. Yeah. And, and not to worry, I won't be triggered. And I love that there's all these trigger warnings today. You know, you, before you read something, there's a trigger warning. I I was watching something the other day on HBO and there was a trigger warning about flashing lights. And I'm like, what what is all this coddling? I love this because when I grew up, you know, um, and a lot of us there, there were not, especially for guys, you know, my, my parents didn't want to acknowledge it. Um, they didn't know what to do with it, really. Um, I was having asthma, asthma attacks, or I'm sorry, anxiety attacks in Little League. I was a pitcher and, you know, I was told it was asthma. And so oh, wow. it, it just wasn't working. You know, the, the inhalers and the albuterol and all this weren't working because it wasn't asthma. I was having anxiety attacks and um, I, I went on, uh, I, I didn't know what to do with all this angst and and depression at the time. And I ended up cutting and um, which is pretty common, more common with, with women and females and young girls. And I, I just didn't know what else to do with it. So I just was punishing myself in this weird way. And, and that got noticed. And, and then I, I went into therapy, started some medication, but I went through decades of medication and therapy, which I don't want to discount that. It was absolutely phenomenally helpful. I was able to sleep again. I was able to, uh, you know, have this life coach through therapy and, and bounce things off of my therapist, but it, it wasn't enough um, for me. I was really, really struggling. I couldn't, uh, I struggled in school. I struggled with work. Um, I had hospitalizations related to this. Uh, I wasn't able to eat anymore. I was extremely suicidal because I didn't have the hope for a different outcome, which is, you know, kind of where the humor came in. Um, And so through all that, I had to source this, what am I going to do to contend with all this? And and I started to notice a theme throughout my anxious behaviors and it was humor. And as I got older, um, the humor became more present as a kid. I just continued to struggle and, um, but as as an as I started to enter adulthood, and keep in mind the male brain isn't fully formed until our mid to late twenties. So, you know, we're we're you know the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and all these parts aren't aren't cohesive in the brain in the male brain. So we're more impulsive and we're less able to deal with emotions. And that was absolutely true in my case as well. Um, but as an adult, I had more of these skills, and I was able to figure out, you know, it's probably not normal that I'm, you know, tanning my body and bleaching my teeth so much to (laughs) create this male or uh, this male, um, presentation and then going to the gym and working out relentlessly to the point that I had 13 orthopedic sports surgeries. And, you know, because I had to create this 
this, I had to be a man. Right. And so I just stuffed all that stuff back down and I, you know, when denial didn't work anymore, I distracted and I distracted with the feats of athleticism and, um, and, and then drinking and, and other things until I was able to just start journaling and writing some of this stuff out. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, so go go ahead and ask. No, 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 you're good. Um, I was just trying to like put myself, you know, in my mind's eye as a, a, a boy in the, I'm going to guess at how old you are in the late eighties. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and you know, cause as a, as a young girl in the late eighties, um, I think we're the same age is You're timeless. <laughs> Thank you. Hair flip. You know, it like some of the struggles that I had, they were, they were very difficult. I had a pretty high, what I may unprofessionally diagnose as generalized anxiety. You know, I kind of worried about everything. Um, decisions were really hard. Um, I don't know if you relate to any of this as part of your story, but there wasn't a lot of like resources for that. Thankfully, my mom was really good at helping me learn executive function. Um, and so I have like a ton of tools in my toolbox is what I like to say as far as how to recognize, you know, um, behaviors coming up, um, like, uh, I'd rather make a list than do the things on the list a little, like a teeny bit of OCD, which you had a little OCD too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Had a lot. Yep. Yeah. How did yours present? So, you know, it's, it's interesting because today we have all of these, we have DTX digital therapeutics to help people. Um, we have, you know, a little bit less stigma for men. Um, it still exists, but growing up, I really had to stuff all this back in the box because it was, it was humiliating. And, uh, you know, especially amongst fellow males, you know, you're going to get ridiculed for that. So mine did present as, as being very meticulous as being a perfectionist, um, in school, I did very well, um, because I could focus, but I couldn't hold down like a part-time job because, um, I just, I struggled in that area. Um, and then it got harder when I were, you know, moved into full-time work after college. Um, but it, it presented in a lot of ways that whether it was, you know, some blocking myself until I looked like a geisha and, and going to school, you know, because I, I, I was afraid of aging or wait, I remember, uh, wait, 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 as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Let I me, remember let seeing me press something pause on, on the news. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you saw, that. okay. So how old were you when you saw something on the news and decided to zinc yourself into oh, zinc? Yes. Yes. How old? Zinc and minerals. Um, you know, I was in my teens and really? so I thought, Oh, you know, here's something that wasn't on my worry radar. And that's what anxiety is, right? It's the fear of the unknown. You can't control things. It's seeing the world as more threatening than it really is, um, which is exacerbated today by all the media. And we have that coming at us at the speed of Wi-Fi in every direction. Um, so, you know, mine, I, gosh, I was, I was derailed. I was paralyzed in a lot of ways in my life. And sometimes I could compartmentalize it and keep it under control. And other times I was more unhinged, you know, and those moments came out if there was like a lull in the conversation and I'm like, don't talk, don't talk, don't bring up something stupid. And, you know, then you're talking about like your parents hysterectomy and um, it's like, God, why am I talking about this? And uh, it's because there was a lull in the conversation and I couldn't stand the silence. Uh, also, you know, I would go to events and, and 
I would commit to social events. And then when they would come up, I would never want to go. And it's like, damn it, why did I ever commit? And, you know, on those events, when I did go, I was often very uncomfortable. And so I would drink a lot to kind of sedate the anxiety, which is really common. Um, I remember being at Moulin Rouge in Paris, for example, and we had um, the company I was working with at the time was a French company and they got us front row seats, which would have been great for anyone else, but they were (laughs) bringing people on stage and, you know, I was really freaked out. And at one point, one of the dancers, you know, they're, they're half naked and he, and they're sweaty and they're dancing. And I remember this guy flipped his face and sweat went right into my eye. And, <laughs> I, you know, for somebody with OCD, I was immediately determining what pathogens were in that bead of sweat that are now adhesed to my cornea. And, um, you know, we were drinking. So I immediately grabbed a beer off the table and went to the restroom and people were like, where are you going? It's the middle of the show. And I'm like, gotta go to the bathroom. And I went into the restroom and I poured the beer in my eye because (laughs) alcohol is going to kill whatever's in my eye. And, you know, at the time, you know, this, this probably isn't normal. You know, I'm in, I'm in the bathroom at Moulin Rouge and I'm pouring alcohol into my eye. Um, I'm probably not going to get a communicable disease as if this person even had it, but you know, it was just that, that kind of mindset that I can, I can hold it together unless something unusual happens. Um, and so, you know, that now it still presents in some, some ways, if I go to a hotel, for example, and it's, it's not a four star plus hotel, um, you know, the idea of, of sleeping on a, a mattress that's been bedded on by unknown strangers along with a pillow, you know, I feel like, you know, everybody probably remembers that Dateline episode where they blacklit a, a hotel room and it's like, okay, there's been some murders, some ejaculations. We're not sure what else all of this is on the wallpaper. And, you know, it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting and, oh, you know, they'll, they'll find you $250 if you smoke a cigarette, but you can leave biologicals, untold amount of biologicals in a hotel room and, you know, you're not charged. So that's still an issue for me when I go to a hotel. Um, I usually wear sweats and I don't lay in the bed because in my mind, getting into the sheets <laughs> is worse <laughs> than laying on top of them. Um, you know, I don't travel as much as I should. So, um, yeah, it's presented in some interesting ways in college. You know, I was using my financial aid for Rogaine. I, I have all my hair, which you can't tell right now, but at the time I was convinced because there was some slight creep in the corners and I thought I'm not even engaged yet. And I don't want to go bald. Oh, no. So I've got to get some. And at the time, Rogaine was ex- very expensive. It wasn't, you know, generic and on the shelves of all the CVS and Rite Aids, et cetera. So, you know, here I am spending thousands of dollars on Rogaine, which I can't afford. And 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 a, my dermatologist was like, I don't even want to prescribe this to you because it doesn't grow hair in the corners <laughs> for actual balding. <laughs> and I'm like, look, doc, I know you have this degree, but I've got some recession and it's too early. And so, you know, against his better judgment, you know, he was prescribing me this stuff. And I would go into, I would go into this drugstore in my college town and there was this cute girl and she was always working. And I'm like, dang it, it's the same girl. And I'm getting these prescriptions filled for Rogaine. And she's looking at me like, is this for your dad? You know, like, <laughs> and when the, when the Rogaine was only growing like little fuzz, like, like a tennis ball, I thought, okay, this isn't working. So I went to the, the hair club for men which was hours away. And I went into the lobby and it wasn't until I was in this mahogany lobby that, you know, it smelled of musk and manliness. And I was like, the, the people were looking at me weird, like why I was there. And 
I see these before and after pictures on the walls of guys who had lost their hair and were now swimming with this full rug. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know what? I think this is a little out of control. So there weren't any, you know, intercessions in between that kind of showed me you're, you're, this is your anxiety. This isn't actually what's happening. Yeah. And interestingly, it wasn't until later in my life, you know, I, I, all this hypochondria and all these things that how my anxiety played out, whether it was OCD or worrying about, hyper, you know, things that didn't exist or whatever, but it wasn't until later that um, I was able to have the tools to, to stop this much, much earlier. And that's what I share in my, in my books. And I, I'm so excited for you to share some of those tools, which I think you described as like um, uh, clandestine ninja science techniques. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> And I, I really like that. So I definitely want to go and I want to share that. But um, before we dive into that, can you tell me now that we've painted this picture of, I mean, oh my goodness. How weird am I really? No, yeah, yeah. I just feel for you because <laughs> what people don't understand is that when you are experiencing, when a person is experiencing anxiety, that even when there's not these outside drivers of a Rogaine commercial, a bad news feed coming through, you know, telling yeah. you that you know, the, you should wear sunscreen in between those moments. There's the worrying that of what's next. And there's not necessarily for every person, the uh, exhale, the respite, it doesn't always happen for everyone. So I'm glad that we could kind of paint that picture for, uh, is your, in your experience, like what kind of stigmas did you experience as a man going through all of that? Like, were there, obvious outward uh, pushbacks from you trying to get help? Was it something you just felt internally? What did that look like? Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the lull. I call that the lull when it's like your anxiety is like this, this sonar that's constantly scanning or radar that's constantly scanning the horizon for the next threat. And, and when there's not one there, you know, you don't have that blip on the screen, then you're worried about what you're not worried about. Right. And so there is no enjoyment, right? It's, and I feel like we're in kind of that lull right now. It's like, you know, with COVID, it's like, okay, COVID might be over or we might have, you know, all these other variants of concern that are actually bubbling up right now. And we're hitting, we're entering, entering this winter of, of not only discontent, but of, are we all going to die? It's going to be COVID with flu, um, you know, we got polio, we got monkeypox, And then if you turn on the news, I mean, the other day I saw there was a, a nuclear bomb map of where Putin is going to bomb the U S right. And it was like uh, San Francisco, which is close to me and LA and Houston and New York. And it's like, if we don't need this information. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's almost funny if you look at this, uh, and this is where you have to find the humor because it's so ridiculous. Right. And, so as a guy, you know, until I got these skills, I was just, I was just a mess. Um, honestly, I mean, I would have panic attacks in public and, um, I just didn't feel like I was suitable for the world. You know, I thought I was this, like this petunia out there and I'm like, I'm too, I'm too, I'm too emotional and feeling, you know, I call anxiety, um, a, a disorder of hypervigilance and it's like, you know, and I had to think of it more of as, as a superpower. And what happened and what I started to notice was, yeah, when everything is calm and, and people are blissful and I'm like scanning the horizon for the bad stuff, 
um, it, it was it was unsettling for me. But when things actually happened, when I was in the big earthquake of '89, for example, in, in San Francisco, and 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 things were collapsed and people were crushed, and I was extremely calm. And so I find that whenever I'm in a really bad situation, um, like the first on scene to a car wreck, which always seems to happen to me, or um, a, a domestic disorder, or whatever I seem to witness, the calm is there because I've been preparing for this my whole life inadvertently. And so when COVID hit, it was like, oh, welcome all you new, new anxious, you know, nouveau anxious people. Um, I've been, you know, living this my whole life ready. Like, let's get it on. And, and I never anticipate that it would be over anal hygiene that people would be anxious. It would be everybody's hoarding toilet paper. And it's like, really? Like, I never guessed that this would be how it played out with COVID. You know, I was still Santa wiping fruit from Instacart. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting how the the new anxious come to exhibit their characteristics. But for a, for a male, you know, I just had to accept. And that was the biggest component for me was this is kind of an invisible disorder except when it presents in these, in these outwardly ways. And how do I manage that? Well, I can't manage what people's perceptions of me are, but what I had to do was accept me for me. And it's like, some people have diabetes. Um, some people have cancer. Um, I had to manage this as this is my, this is my, you know, bad hand to deal with. And, and I've got to get the skills and, and what other people think is a, none of my business and B, I don't give a crap anymore. And, and God, it's really, it's really, such a huge release when you untether people's opinions of you. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If you ever wonder where I find guests for the show, the answer is it varies a lot. And since it's something that gets asked a lot, I started including the backstory of each episode in my Monday emails. And then on Saturday, I share cliff notes and clickable links in case what you heard was so good you wish you could have taken notes. If you want to be included, text REAL to 66866 if you're in the US or go to MeredithForReal.com if you're elsewhere. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insect. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff. And pollinator care is always top of mind. If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. If you watch the show on YouTube, then you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. This is just one museum under the umbrella of the UWF Historic Trust. If you're planning a trip to Pensacola and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket. It's good for a whole week. Get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. And and not only that, I remember, you know, this all started when I was going through a big breakup, the writing started. And I remember my girlfriend at the time got into med school in New York and, you know, we're in California. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'll have enough leeway to do what I want, but we'll still have this relationship. And um, she wanted me to move. And I was like, well, no, I'm not moving. Like, we'll stay together. When you're done with school, you come back. It's all good. And so, you know, <laughs> she dumped me and it was like, wait, no, that wasn't in the cards. And so I just completely, I'd gone through a, a, 
I think like my 10th shoulder surgery at the time. And I couldn't tie my shoe and I was on the kitchen floor and I was, that's when it hit me. I started crying and I'm like, I'm lonely. I can't tie my shoe. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I have all these things I can't manage. And that's when I wrote breaking up badly. And that was that first breakup because I had one good hand. I couldn't do anything else, but I could write. And I started journaling and I had written for, you know, a hobby for quite a long time, but that resonated with so many other men. And so when I opened that vulnerability kimono and I showed other guys like, it's okay to feel men. Look, I'm a man. You know, I'm not super manly. I'm uncomfortable at Home Depot, but you know, I have <laughs> cowboy boots and I Taekwondo and like, I love IPA. Like I'm a man, um, you know, but it, when I showed other men that I had feelings and, you know, I, I can't think of a single time where another guy didn't say, Oh, you know what? I feel that too. And, and, you know, it was kind of a kumbaya moment. So, yeah, totally. So tell us your secret sauce, please. Like what, what are these ninja tools that you have collected over the years? Because you have this incredible lived experience that you framed as a superpower. Love that. I love reframing it in general. It's a technique that helps reframing. Yes. Yeah. It's a, I mean, that in itself is a tip. If you can reframe the things that, um, you know, are going on internally with you and even externally, it can be a, a real asset. And, uh, and so you've, you have this lived experience of, of having all these, um, special features, I'll call them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you also have the benefit of having lots of, um, you know, therapies. And then when you wrote the book, it gave you access to medical professionals who also gave you a whole bunch of tools. So I think we would all love to hear some of your top tools for, um, helping someone with anxiety feel a little bit more comfortable in their skin and in the world. Yeah. And thank you for asking about that. And you, and you can stay in that state where I was, where it was just completely debilitating. And, and then you get to a point whether you're diagnosed and hopefully it doesn't become chronic like mine did. Generally the, the timeline is, you know, after three months, if you're still, if it's impacting your work or your life, your sleep, um, quality of life in general, you need to talk to somebody and there's no reason to suffer through this. Unfortunately, mine was chronic. I didn't address it. Um, early, but I also had, uh, there was a lot of mitigating factors. Um, and it wasn't just the denial and the stigma of being a man. I mean, there were, um, opportunities to get kind of more intensive help. And, and I shunned those opportunities until I was literally broken down in, in a hospital. And, and then I just came out and, you know, went back to the gym and did, you know, three hour trail runs. Like I was just, I'm a guy, you know, um, I'm still a guy in, in many of those ways. Um, but I got to the point where it's like, you have to want something more than what you currently have. And that's what the point I hit, like, I don't want to live this way. Um, I don't have any hope. And, you know, I ended up worrying about all the wrong things anyway, which is, you know, if you, statistically the things we're most worried about are never going to happen. And, um, you know, I cite this and there's research to this and uh, I talk a lot about that. And so that doesn't mean we worry about the things we're not worrying about. It means we, stay mindful in the moment and live our lives. And, you know, the, I was blindsided by so many things that were never on my radar and, um, they were actually good. You know, I'm in cancer remission, for example, with my mother who I know I'm adopted. It's not genetic. I had a, a smoker's cancer. I never smoked. That was the wake up call I needed. And I hope for other men, they don't need 
debilitating anxiety, depression, and a cancer diagnosis on their birthday, you know, to, to kind of get help. And, um, thank God my mom and I share this, this remission right now. She's terminal. She's stage four, which is really hard for me, but I've had all these skills and time to work on myself and, and, and how I'm going to mitigate all of these things, um, as, as they're happening. And so what I did was I studied, um, you know, I have a formal education and a master's degree, but I also studied CBT, ABT, DBT, all the acronyms around mental health, right? And, and I don't need to dive into what all those are, but I took all the tactics and I, I stripped the clinical ease of it. And I, I looked at the decades of therapy and workshops and workbooks and groups and, and just, which were all helpful, but I was still coming out of all this and I'm still suffering. And I'm like, what is missing? And, and, and it was relatable, cathartic, and, and the humor piece. And so I stripped all of the, the nomenclature and the white coat staid traditional therapy. And I created a methodology for others that I use myself in a triage kind of way on the fly tactics that people can use when they're facing a COVID or the loss of a loved one or chronic illness or moving or job loss, et cetera. And, um, you know, those, those are the things that I talk about in, in my latest book. And, and a lot of these are, um, are just really simple on the fly. You don't need the worksheets and the study guides and you can have levity and enjoyment in, in treatment and in self-help. So, um, again, not to negate the, the, the need for therapy because there's definitely a time and place for talk therapy, for medication, um, for getting your sleep. And so you asked about some of the tactics sleep is one of the top ones. Um, without sleep, you're going to have, if you're prone to anxiety, it's going to exacerbate it. It's terrible. I had a, a horrible night's sleep two nights ago, and I had a miserable day yesterday. And um, <clears throat> what we tend to do is then caffeinate. Well, caffeine will literally create anxiety as well. Alcohol. Um, you can have a panic attack from enough alcohol. I've done it. I didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> but I was hugging a parking meter um, downtown once, just having the worst panic attack of my life. Oh no! And it was because I, I I drank too much, and that was my phase where I was, you know, um, before harm reduction, I was kind of treating myself. Um, I was being an amateur pharmacologist, um, which is stupid, you know. Not advisable. Yeah. Not at all. So you know, coffee and booze lie to us. Um, you know, coffee tells us we're going to be productive or we're going to have greater cognitive performance, et cetera. Whereas alcohol says, you know, you're going to have a great time. I'm going to lower your inhibitions. Well, yeah, temporarily for both. Um, alcohol is a depressant, uh, caffeine is a stimulant. So these things do not mix well. Um, and I don't mean to cut them out entirely. You can, you, you can have some, but be careful. You know, there's a demarcator, um, for both. And, um, the other is limiting media exposure. I talked about the, the nuclear bomb map. Like I didn't need to see that. Right. But I did. And they use these headlines like, you know, Armageddon and apocalypse and, you know, <laughs> these it's clickbait, right? Right. Very, very seldom is breaking news relevant to us. Um, yeah. you know, well, I, I think live people in- have a, a, a fear of being disconnected and uh, no one wants to look stupid. Like we talk about fears, like feeling like you're not up to date is a fear, F- you know, feeling like you're naive or ignorant is a fear. And so 
I, it, what I see, and I would love to know, like on the nitty gritty practical side, how you handle this. And what I see is people go, Oh, I really don't watch the news. And I want to be like, give me your phone. <laughs> yeah. I want to see oh, how many notifications are on your phone right now. And, and I know from my own, um, mindfulness practice of trying to reduce those anxiety, uh, inducing headlines, you know, it's cause, cause I also don't want to be ignorant, but it, I'm really just reading headlines, <clears throat> which is not helpful, right? Like I need to read the whole article. And so I now have control of, okay, now I need to read an article. I'm going to research this. I'm going to learn about this. Whereas before I thought I had unsubscribed from everything, but I have a um, Android. And so I would get like Google news notifications at the top, almost like the CNN scrolling headline, but at oh, the yeah. at the top and I would read it and it would go away. Like it wouldn't stay. But subconsciously, it would trigger like, oh, God, here we go. Or even just trigger feelings of hopelessness about the state of the universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? 100%. So, yeah. 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 So how do you um, – people really struggle with the nitty-gritty of this subject. So I, I hope you don't mind if we, like, spend a minute on it. Because how do, how do you – disconnect from those things in an appropriate way without feeling like you're setting yourself up to be a dum-dum. Yeah. And you know, Meredith, we could talk forever on the tactics. I have a ton. Um, and, and I would love to talk about these, uh, but I'm going to cover the top ones because they're most relevant to what you just spoke about. And we are getting our attention. Everyone's competing for our attention wherever we go, even if we're at home. And then the phone's dinging, right? And and it's a dopamine drip for us. When you get an alert, it's it's doing more than you realize physiological physiologically in your brain. Um, it is a it's, it's spurring dopamine. And the only way to stop that is first turn off those notifications. Take a take a media sabbatical if you're if you're experiencing um, what you just described or what I just described, where you see the headline and you're like, oh wait. I've got, for me, it's COVID variants, right? It's like, I need to know what's coming down the pipe. I got to prepare. <laughs> and more often than not, I read it and I'm like, oh, that was such clickbait. I fell for it. And, and we're feeding into this. So limit your media exposure. None of us need to roll out of bed and get a daily damage report on the world. <laughs> you know, there's just as many good things happening, if not more. Um, we could set up our news feed for healthy things and funny things. Um, you know, read the onion. That's some fake news that are great. And it's a parody <laughs> of real news. I watch clips from Saturday night live. I watch, um, you know, com Sebastian Maniscalco clips sometimes on YouTube or wh whomever just to laugh and to break up that monotony. Um, you know, we have a lot of earthquakes in California. I was going to mention this before. And then I'm always like, okay, how close was that one to the coast? Because now I got to watch for a tsunami warning. Um, cause I'm so close to the ocean. And, you know, I, I, I got to be prepared in case I need to go to Highland and, you know, it gets ridiculous. And, you know, if something's really going to be impactful to, to you, you're going to hear about it. You know, somebody's going to call you, et cetera, but you do not need to marinate your psyche in the negativity, especially on a daily basis. So limit that exposure, even 10 minutes a day, social media adds to this. Um, none of us live the lives we want to portray on social media. I think people are starting to get that. Um, there's a lot of influencers out there that'll tell you the same thing. Their lives are not as they're being presented. They're being paid. And a lot of the followers, a lot of the engagement even is fake. And so, you know, know that that's a reality. 
and accept that there is a different reality than what's being presented. Follow the trend lines, not the headlines. I always tell people that. And if you look back historically over hundreds of years and different decades, every generation has had a similar scenario that we have. This is not the first plague or pandemic. This is not the first geopolitical situation we've been in where there's a threat of nuclear war. Um, You can go as back to as recently as the Cold War or 1962 to the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, if you go back to Roman times or even the Aztecs, people were having their hearts ripped out. They were being beheaded publicly. There were public hangings in the 1800s, et cetera, right? This is not, we, we have progressed a great deal and there's a lot of hope for a different outcome and that's up to us, but it's not going to help when we're steeping ourselves like tea bags in, in negativity and news that isn't impactful for us or relevant for our day-to-day um, endeavors. And it's not that things have gotten worse. It's that we have so much information about every nuance of the world now, and it's coming to us through every device. And I, I want to add another tactic that I used and that's radical acceptance. And this is a, a, a really helpful technique to use when you become overwhelmed and you, you just want to not, not glean onto it, not absorb it all, but just radically accept that this is what's happening right now. And that doesn't impact your role in the world or your ability to give or to make a difference, but just accept, okay, these things are happening, right? There's a lot of stuff that's happening um, and, and we know that and we don't need to read it every day. Um, but what is your why? Why are you living? What is your meaning um, in this world? And focus on that. Focus on your mastery, whether it's being a great parent or it's being great at your job or being a great podcast host or whatever it might be. Um, you know, Focus on your health and your well-being. Um, good eating is another one that goes with sleep. I, I talk about, um, it seems common sense, but processed foods have a huge impact. Um, the gut brain connection is real and it has, uh, if you have, you know, one day of bad eating, it's going to play out for you in the, in the next 24 hours in some way. And, um, generally your mental health, is going to take a hit, um, and also exercise getting out. And these all seem common sense, but it's very hard. And I do it myself. I silo in my work and I don't even get out. I live walking distance to the ocean. I moved here by Pebble Beach in California, knowing that this would be a muse for me. I would write, I would be at the beach all the time, probably writing at the beach. Uh, maybe I take up painting, you know, all the, I never go <laughs> anymore. When I first moved, I was there all the time. And then it was like, okay, there it is. I see it out my window, mm-hmm. but um, it doesn't matter because wherever you go, there you are. Yes. It's, it's the tactics that you employ wherever you go that make the difference. So those are some of the things I talk about. Um, the other is get a mental spotter. Um, don't, for, especially for men, don't isolate like I do. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, I, I do spend time with my friends. It's just that I have this message that I want to get out. I really want to make an impact, especially um, for men who make up the majority of suicides in the United States and the the minority of mental health seekers. And so um, there's a reason for that. What we're doing isn't working. The the denial, the distraction, which then um, turns into substance abuse or going to the gym too much or um, getting too involved in work. And then everything else that really matters, our relationships, our families, et cetera, takes that that toll. Um, 
there is help out there. So get that mental spotter in form of therapy. There's a lot of new and developing stuff coming out right now. You know, you have the digital therapeutics, which I talked about. These are the, the apps like Calm and Talkspace, et cetera. But you have all these websites. You can get help. You can get it pretty quickly now. Um, there's biofeedback. There's medications in the form of SSRIs, et cetera. And now, you know, a lot of people are getting into um, transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, they call um, for anxiety and, 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 and all of the psychedelics, which is very promising. Uh, you know, this isn't again, self-medicating. This isn't becoming your own pharmacist at home and buying things off the dark web. This is going and getting, <laughs> you know, legitimate supervised help in, in whether it be ketamine or psilocybin or ayahuasca, um, even DMT and MDMA. Now um, there's great promise in treating mood and anxiety disorders in, in terms of psychedelics. So no, those were amazing. I th- I hope that my hope for this episode is that people listening will take the time that they need to figure out what are the ingredients in my life that are essential to my well-being. Because we all have three or four things, at least, I think. I know I do. That if I am feeling off, I can always, <clears throat> excuse me. I can always trace it back to forgetting about doing those three or four things. Yep, and you're so, out of balance. yeah, I'm out of balance. You know, like one of, one of them is walking. It's less about the exercise. It's oh, more it's just huge. about, yeah, it's huge for me. So as we wrap up, um, can you tell us how people can pre-order your book and the incentive uh, for pre-ordering and, and all of those things? Yeah. I love that you mentioned take a walk. That's one of the things that I be a freak of nature, right? And, um, and be a freak of nurture, nurturing yourself and, and get out because walking and actually looking at trees, even through a window, but please go outside, um, <laughs> actually shifts and has been shown to, to lower anxiety. It's all clinical. Uh, there's studies to back all of this up. So yeah, look at your life as a pie chart and if, and, and it should be a mix of maybe spiritual of, of healthy, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, um, and, and getting out, you know, nature should be a part of that. And, and the work and the family, et cetera, is all part of that. So once you, as exactly as you described, one of those slices becomes skewed and sometimes it does and, and you have deadlines, et cetera, but get back into that balanced pie. Um, I love pie. So if it's a pizza pie or an apple pie, I'll make, <laughs> then you're anytime you want to talk about, yeah, pie. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I could be reached at, um, at, at stateofanxiety.com. I, I run that site and, and I have a, a new book launch at anxietyhacks.co. And if you pre-order the book, um, I will come to your house and read it to you. <laughs> Bedside, in a recliner, <laughs> fireside, however you want. Um, and in, in absence of that being actually reasonable, um, I will do a 30-minute Zoom one-on-one um, anxiety coaching. Um, we can have a conversation and I can help guide you. Um, I am not a psych D, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I do know a lot about, uh, you know, helping people to, to guide them to where they should get help. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, thank you, John. This has been amazing. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Thanks for listening. If you've loved a couple episodes of the show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews aren't just an add a girl for me, although I do love them. They tell potential guests that even though I don't have a million Instagram followers, the show is legit and my audience is engaged. 
If you ended up liking this episode, you might also like the one where I share my own strategies for converting overwhelm into inspiration. It's episode 105. Stay tuned next week when I talk with an expert on how a cold shower could improve your memory.